Hello, hello. Welcome to another edition of the Malaga Drive Hoops pod. It is Sunday afternoon, a rainy Sunday afternoon. Uh, got the window open, a nice slight breeze in here, so hopefully the raindrops aren't too uh, distracting, but I, I think it's kind of peaceful, so I'm rocking with it. Um, but I hope you're all doing well. Hope you guys are staying safe. Um, today I'm taking this solo and uh, I thought what a perfect time uh, to recap the Warriors season um, really talk all things Warriors I mean it, it's been such it's obviously been you know on the court not too great but it's been a very eventful season um, for the Warriors and I think you know I, I started this pod less than a year ago but it's definitely been around seven eight months and haven't really, you know, I, I've covered the Warriors here and there, but I haven't really had a podcast dedicated to the Warriors. And I think that was partly because, you know, I'm a Warriors fan. Almost everyone that listens to this knows that. And so I wanted to, you know, set a base that this isn't necessarily a Warriors po- podcast. I love Hoop so much with or without the Warriors being good about it. It definitely certainly helps for, you know, when the Warriors are good. Um, but I think I wanted to set that foundation that I'm not going to, you know, mindlessly just be a homer of the Warriors and, and every episode is going to be, you know, this guy's the goat, the Warriors the best team ever, you know, wanted to shy away from that. But I think at this point, it's like, you know, this is my podcast. I love the Warriors. I'm a huge Warriors fan. Um, and I want to be able to reflect on this season and and not just reflect on the season, but talk about, you know, moving forward, what I, I look what, what I look, what I think um, we are set up to, to do and, and what it looks like. So um, that is what I'm going to do today. I think first off to note, it's it's been a magical five-year run um, and we're kind of at a transition point, right? Like good franchises um, in this spot, you see the Spurs. They were able to continue to pass the torch, continue to find innovative ways to stay not just relevant, but at the top of the league. And then the Warriors are um, kind of now faced with that stage. They've had their initial stage. They sacrificed. I won't, I'm not going to say, say they sacrificed a longer term outlook when they got KD. But, um, you know, they, they sped up their process. And I think you take that, you know, I use the word sacrifice. But I think you take that 10 times out of 10. So um, we're now at this point where, hey. We got moves to make. We have critical decisions to make. And if we do the right thing, you know, we should be set up to to be a very competitive team and, and uh, hopefully a championship com- contending team moving forward. So today I'm going to start by, you know, reflecting on this season. Um, and obviously, you know, it's, it's pretty straightforward. We were not good and there were pretty clear reasons as to why we're not good. But want to touch on the D'Angelo Russell dynamic. Um for a little bit and then moving forward look at hey what can we do in free agency um i've done a lot of research actually the past couple days on the draft and again when i'm gonna be you know i'll touch on it more later but when as i'm speaking on this these are not really um necessarily observations of my own i i think i've said you know plenty of times on this pod there are a lot more people that know a lot more about college basketball than i do what I do know is the NBA game, uh, you know, in general, what type of players have the best chance of succeeding. Um, and I do know the overall fit schemes and, and just the way the Warriors, you know, 
view the game as of basketball and so want to kind of relay what I've seen from professionals from people who who make their living off of breaking down you know NBA prospects um, and, and kind of bridge that gap between that and the Warriors and um, from there after we've broken down you know how this season went the free agent targets the draft class targets um, kind of projecting what next year looks like so stoked to do this it's been a long time coming um and you know again it, it looks like even if it, it honestly as sad as it is to say um it looks like there's a decent chance at this point that the season will not return uh resume uh still a chance but even if it does resume you know nothing really changes for the warriors in terms of you know the outlook for this year and we're really looking forward towards next year so again really excited guys appreciate you joining me i hope got some warriors fans tuning into this who are you know pretty interested on on what that next stage looks like for us and i'm really stoked for it guys so let's get into it all righty so i think so to, to start off we're going to talk about this year and Coming into the year, you know, it was it was different than any year, and I was really excited because you had Steph. You know, I'm I'm the biggest Steph guy. You you are not gonna find a bigger Steph guy than me. Um, not just uh, not just who he is as a person, um, but who he is as a as a player. And and truly, I, I don't think I would love basketball or the NBA as much as I do if not for Steph. And, and that might sound crazy, but he just put my love for basketball in the NBA times a, a million, just watching him every day. And I know one day I'm going to be old and I'm going to be, you know, reminiscing of the days I, I got to watch Steph Curry play basketball. So I don't, I don't take any of it for, for granted. Um, and so again, I got a little off track there in my love for Steph, but essentially what I'm trying to say is I was, I was really excited for the year because obviously you have KD um the past couple years and I wouldn't trade that for anything I think the Warriors are up there it's it's so hard to compare I'm not going to get into comparing greatest teams of all time but I mean you have to at least consider them um at that point especially that that first year with KD um and so I was excited to see Steph and Clay kind of have their team again um and I knew when we made the deal for D'Lo uh, I remember specifically my friend Brian saying I don't like it and I I think it was the Steph, the Steph fan in me that was like, what? Like, Steph can make anything happen. Like, Steph is so unselfish. I think a lot of basketball is if you have talent and you have guys that really want to win, you can make it work. Um, and so I kind of overlooked the odd fit that D'Lo was with this team. Um, and again, obviously, uh, so, so then I was like, you know, I was thinking, hey, maybe not an elite team, but a team that can get into the playoffs to the point where now, Hey, Clay's back. He's an absolute game changer. You have playoff Draymond. Let's see what can happen. You know, maybe not a title contender, but a team that is put them in the level of maybe the Rockets this year, or uh, to a lesser extent, the Nuggets. Hey, a team that's very good, maybe not at the elite levels, but Hey, let's see what happens. Um, obviously a lot of that went out the window with Seth's injury. Um, but I can tell, even without, you know, even without Steph's injury, the fit there just didn't quite make sense. Um, and again, you you talk about, you know, sometimes fit not being perfect, but being able to make it work. I, I just did a centers podcast and I think, you know, Miles Turner and Sabonis are a good example of, hey, 
that those two games don't really fit, but they've made it work to the point where Indiana was a, a good, solid playoff team playing at or slightly above the level of talent that they had. Um, and I thought that's a similar situation in terms of optimizing the talent, even if the fit isn't perfect. Um, and I was wrong. I think um, I think with D'Angelo Russell, I think there's a – I think – and, and it took, I think, until this year for me to realize this. I think there's one of the bigger gaps between a perception, the NBA fan, normal NBA fan's perception between how good this guy is and how good he really is actually is i think russell westbrook's up there i think kyrie irving's up there but even russell westbrook and kyrie irving they've seen a prolonged you know amount of success at at least in you know getting their teams to a certain point in the playoffs or, or getting to the playoffs and you know d'lo had that year in brooklyn where he was the lead guy on a team that was a sixth seed in the east nothing crazy but definitely a playoff team you know and so um, getting back to the point at hand in which the difference is D'Angelo Russell is a guy that needs in order for him to be his most effective self, he needs to be the primary ball handler, right? And even as a primary ball handler, he he's a very talented player, but his game is in which that as the primary ball handler, he takes really tough shots. And he's talented enough to make a good amount of them. But the the level, the degree of difficulty of his shots are so tough that even him making a decent amount of those, it, it's not. It doesn't lead to a very efficient player. Um, and you saw in Brooklyn when he was on the court, they were uh, literally just one point better than when he was off the court. Um, and it was a similar thing to to this year, right? He, the Warriors with. And again, I think it helps had it been had he been surrounded by better offensive players. You know, it didn't help that he was surrounded by Jordan Poole, Kai Bowman, Eric Pascal, Marquise Chris, Kevon Looney. You know, for the majority of the year. No offense to those players; they're just not there yet. Um, but the fact remains that when he was off the floor, and those same players were playing with you know other guys. The Warriors' offense was not that much worse, you know. Um, again, I think the the Warriors' offense was one or two points better per a hundred possessions. And and I think as I continue to you know grow in my you know ability to I I feel at least uh, evaluate talent at the NBA level, um, you know it goes much past what you see a guy be able to do in one on one basketball, right? It's I view every NBA offense as an engine and there are some guys that you build the engine around or not even build the engine around, are the engine. Um, there are some guys that help improve the functioning of the engine. And then there's some guys that, you know, don't do either, but they're not going to hurt the functioning of the engine. And generally then if, then you get to the point where now if you're, you're on the court and, and hurting the functioning of the engine, you better really help the defensive uh, engine. And so D'Lo as a player has to be the guy running it. And and that in this analogy, if he's running the engine, you already kind of know what the peak is going to be of that engine now, to this point. And he could get better. He He's going to – I wouldn't be surprised at all if he, be, he becomes a better jump shooter um, as he continues to grow and a better floater. He really does need to improve around the rim. Finishing is not the best yet, and I think – he has great touch, but he's not able to necessarily 
he doesn't have great athleticism. So it, it hurts. Um, and I think what he needs to be better at is, is getting better shots for himself. You see the best guys in the NBA, Kawhi, James Harden, offensive guys, Luka, um, in terms of just not even creating for others, but in terms of themselves, there are very talented players that can make very difficult shots. But the reason why they're so good is because they create good shots for themselves. They get to spots on the floor where it's like that is a high-quality shot that goes in more often than it doesn't go in. And D'Angelo Russell is not necessarily able to do that. And so then you factor in, and that's just him as a player by himself. Now you factor in that you know, you're playing now with Steph Curry, who – Steph Curry is is similar to D'Angelo in, in, in terms of how he plays with the ball in his hands, but now he functions at just so much more of an efficient level. I mean, the, the shooting percentages are not even close. The offensive rating percentages are not even close. Um, to put it in perspective, Steph Curry, I checked over the past five years, his offensive rating, I think the lowest it ever was, was 115 um, while he's on the court. And, and the, the highest offensive rating in the league right now is the Dallas Mavericks at 115 as a whole, as a whole team. And that would be close to the best ever. So uh, to put that in perspective, that was Steph Curry while he was on the court. His worst offensive rating ever was 115. And he had years where he was in 120, 122. 120 possessions, points per 100 possessions is just ridiculous. It's, it's hard to even wrap your, your mind around. So now you... And yes, Steph can play off the ball, but you don't want him exclusively playing off the ball. And and the problem with D'Angelo Russell is when he's off the ball, he's, I'm not going to say irrelevant, but he has not learned how to play off the ball. And he's not good enough yet on as a primary ball handler to be the number one guy on an, on an offense that is going to be elite or even pretty significantly above average. Um, and then on on top of that, you know, Steph, when he plays on the ball, Ben's defenses in a way that now you suddenly you have Draymond going downhill in a four on three D'Angelo it doesn't quite have that gravity and you've seen defenses almost not almost you've seen defenses essentially say hey we're gonna live with D'Angelo Russell playing this sort of basketball you know what he's gonna do he's gonna make some tough 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 shots sometimes but oftentimes you're going to live with the result and uh, that's how defense play. And it just kind of puts a cap on your, your offense. Um, and he's a great clutch, you know, score. Uh, he proved that in Brooklyn and, and at times in, in Golden State. But you, again, you already have two guys right now that you would rather take a clutch, uh, clutch shot in a meaningful basketball or a non-meaningful basketball game over D'Angelo Russell. So the fit was questionable. Now we move on to Wiggins and he is – you know, just a, and again, uh, I'll touch on one last thing and kind of redundant. I'm not here to, you know, shit on D'Angelo Russell. I'm just here to explain how that fit was never really going to um, be good enough to, to really, I ever think, make a push at a championship level or even a, a very above average level. And then you factor in the defense. When he was on the court, the opposing team had a 116 offensive rating per 100 possessions. 160. If you're giving up 116 points with you on the court, you're never going to be win enough basketball games. So you put that all together. And Steph, again, I'm tired of the one-on-one. Like guys, basket NBA basketball is not played one-on-one. 
you want a guy who understands your defense because every guy is going to get beat unless you're consistently, unless you're Kawhi Leonard or Paul George. And even those guys are still going to be beat one-on-one. It's about understanding the scheme. Hey, are we switching this? Where are we switching? If we are switching, where's the off ball help going to have to come from? If, you know, if we're funneling him here to the paint, when the center comes up to uh, protect the rim and contest the shot, where am I supposed to be? You know, and Steph uh, clearly understands that. He's shown that for a while that there have been seasons in his prime where the defense has been slightly worse with him on the court, but never significantly worse. And there have also been seasons where the defense has been better with him on the court. And and so, again, not a defensive game changer, but never going to hurt you or get to a point where, gosh, I'm just going to go at him time after time. And you've seen guys do it. I'm not going to get too deep into it. But you've seen there was times in Rocket the Rocket series where their 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 game plan was, hey, let's let's switch on to Steph, let's have Harden go at him, and it didn't work at an effective enough level for them to to win the game or the series. And and you saw then the Rockets eventually you know kind of shy away from that game plan. So now we we touch on Andrew Wiggins, uh, just a, a much better fit. I don't think in Minnesota, you know how they played was ever going to be able to get the most out of him. They asked him to do a little bit too much offensively. He's never, I think, I mean, you thought he had that potential coming into the league um, that he could carry you offensively. I think it's pretty clear to this point he cannot do that. Um, And and so he's not going to be asked to do that this year. I think this year, next year, I think what he's going to be asked to do is shoot the wide open shot. When they get to the point where they can close out, attack that close out hard and use your your physical gifts to get to the bucket um, and put pressure on the paint and then play good defense. He has every single tool you would never you could ever need to pl- be a good team defender and a good one-on-one defender. And I, I really would like to think that the Warriors could get the best out of him. I'm not asking him to be an elite defender. I think, you know, when you play next to Draymond, he's always going to let you know where you're supposed to be where you're wrong. He he is like a defensive coordinator literally on the court. So he he's like an earpiece in in everyone's ear while he's on the court. And he he might sh- Wiggins might struggle early, but I think I have confidence that by the time the playoffs come, Wiggins will be very in tune with the defensive game plan, where he's supposed to be, what he's supposed to do, and he has every tools to be effective in that role. Um, you saw just in one game, uh, Seth came back for the one game against the Raptors. Um, and, and again, this was without Clay, without D'Angelo Russell. So it was Steph without Draymond Green. It was Steph and Michael Mulder, Damian Lee, Juan Toscano Anderson, Marquise Chris, uh, you know, Kai, Jordan Poole. I don't think Bowman was there, but you know, it was Steph and nobody who and, and nobody who has really made a, a significant impact at the NBA level yet. Um, and Andrew Wiggins, and you saw, I believe Andrew Wiggins got not, I don't know the exact number, but it was eight or nine wide jump shots that were considered wide open. Um, and so he's going to get a lot of those next year and he's improved his ability to shoot wide open, jumper, wide open jumpers, which I would hope. Um, and so he's going to get a lot of wide open jumpers next year. I, I'm hoping he can get to the point where he you feel good. He, and he didn't hit him in the Raptors game. But I feel like he is a guy who who can consistently do that moving forward. And then you also saw it 
you get to a point where now he's wide open, but now they're closing really hard. It's one pump and go and attack. The defense is already somewhat bent and scrambling. Pump and go attack the defense and, and get to the paint, get to your spot and, and either draw a foul or finish. Um, and I think he's going – this. I can't say he's going to be perfect. I'm, I can't say he's going to be elite. I, you know, I can't say any of those things, but what I can say is he's going to be put in the best position because, because of who, you know, the Warriors coaching staff is and who his personnel around him is. He's going to be put in the best position to get the most out of his talent. And that's really all you can ask for. And now it's on him to make the most out of that. Um, and we, we can see the guy is still, I want to say 23. Um, so he's still learning. He's still growing as a basketball player, as a as a man. Um, and I, I really am optimistic. Again, I was again. You could say, Caleb, you were optimistic that D'Lo was going to work out. You're right. I was. So you take this as a, for a grain of salt. But I am optimistic that Andrew, the Warriors can get the most out of Andrew Wiggins, and this is a situation in which Andrew Wiggins can thrive in. Okay. Now we're moving forward. That is my take on, on D'Angelo Russell, the D'Angelo Russell situation and, and Andrew Wiggins situation moving forward. I want to touch on free agency now, and then we'll take a quick break and talk about the draft and then move forward to next year. Free agency is um, – it's tough. It's tough for me because you know, you know, like, I'm an idiot. I just missed a whole segment. I wanted to briefly, before we move to free agency in the draft, I want to talk about how this year was a blessing in disguise. Because obviously, I think I've talked about it on Twitter. I've talked about it in multiple places. I think that this season was a bless, blessing in disguise. Obviously, you know, there's the obvious reason Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and Draymond Green have played so much basketball over the past five years because they've gone to the finals literally the past five years. You're essentially tacking on a whole more than a whole another NBA season. They've essentially played more than six NBA seasons in five five years. Um, so giving them, a, I don't care how much you love basketball. I don't care how much you love or your craft. It is tiring to play that much basketball in that amount of time. And you're playing against guys who have had more rest off. Unless you're LeBron James. And even LeBron had, you know, all of last year. And you, you've seen this year LeBron just so much more refreshed. Um so that in itself is a, a big blessing because you you give these guys time off and and you might say, well, Draymond didn't get time off. No, Draymond had time off. He essentially was working part time this year, um, which is a pretty sweet deal for him. And I I heard at times uh, NBA fans be NBA fans, Warrior fans be frustrated with Draymond Green. But honestly, man, I get it. He's a he's a human being. He's given his heart, soul, and body for the past five years. And it's resulted in three championships and very well could have resulted in four or five. Um, and so I, I think he deserves this time off. It And yes, you'd like to maybe see him a little bit locked in at times this year, give a little bit more. Didn't You could tell body didn't really care, wasn't taking the best care of his body. But I think if anyone's deserved it, it's, it's him. And he's been, I don't think people give him the credit for being the defensive mastermind that he's been in these playoffs. Um, again, like I said, he's another defensive coordinator out on the floor, and 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 that is absolutely invaluable. I think uh, my philosophy in, in terms of winning games is, I mean, you can be as good as you want offensively. If you're giving just as much up on the defensive end, 
you're never going to be an elite team. And, and Dre was inst- absolutely instrumental in having an elite defense when it truly mattered. So um, a couple of reasons why this is a blessing in disguise. You see teams like the New York Knicks, and really the New York Knicks are the main team that comes to mind, um, playing for the majority of this year, Julius Randle, 32 to 33 minutes a game. Marcus Morris, before they traded him, 32 to 33 minutes a game. Even guys like Taj Gibson, you know, 20 minutes or so a game. Alfred Payton up into the 30s. Uh, Reggie Bullock, Wayne Ellington. And it's not that you, uh, you know, that you can't play vets. Um, I think it's it's something that's tough to balance. I understand you, you see it with the Cavs too. But even the Cavs have done a much better job of, hey, yes, we're going to play Tristan Thompson. Yes, we're going to play Kevin Love. Yes, you you know we're gonna give our our our, uh, our proven guys time, but they've done a really good job of mixing in Colin Sexton, Darius Garland, Kevin Porter Jr. You know they let those guys develop and play with the proven guys, and they found a good balance and a good medium. And I think that's what you look at as as a rebuilding team of ideally where you want that mix to be. And the Knicks were terrible at it. You have Dennis Smith Jr., Kevin Knox, Mitchell Robinson, not rotting on the bench, but not playing nearly the uh, amount of minutes you want them to play. And even when they are playing the minutes, not having the amount of usage, not having, um, not really giving them the chance to fail and learn and and have a role uh, a critical role in your on, on your basketball team um and it stunts your growth you know and and i get it they're not as good you know mitchell robinson probably doesn't have the same impact that Taj gibson has right now but you have to give someone with those physical skills and abilities a chance to prove himself and and now we get back you know back to the warriors the warriors were able to do that you saw Eric Pascal really started off the year hot and then hit that normal rookie wall. And then, you know what the Warriors did? They let him continue to play through that, and he got so much better to the point where now I feel like Eric Pascal can be a legitimate bench piece for us next year on a, on a contending team. Um, and, and really, he has a much better understanding of not only Steve Kerr's system, but but the NBA game in general, the NBA game in general is, I'm not going to say it, it's a completely different sport than college basketball, but it is played in a completely different way um, with completely different offensive systems, with completely different defensive systems. So essentially for a lot of rookies, it doesn't matter how talented you are. You're, it's a huge learning curve because you're playing almost a different sport. And Eric Pascal Marquise Chris, yeah, Marquise Chris was a guy in, in Phoenix that you saw as a prime example, all the physical abilities in the world, but mentally he could never figure it out. And, and it was partly, I don't know if it was, you know, the Suns not giving him that opportunity, if the Suns, you know, were dysfunctional, but you could see for the first four years of his career, he had no idea what he was doing on, on an NBA floor, defensively or offensively. And the Warriors finally gave him, gave him an opportunity, and I'm sure he learned along the way as well. But the Warriors gave him an opportunity to do that. Now it's to the point where I feel confident he can play 20 minutes a game for us next year, run, be a rim runner, runner at an elite level, protect the rim. He, again, still gets lost at times, but he makes up for it with his, his physical ability 
and athletic ability to protect shots at the rim. And I feel like, hey, Marquise can play those minutes. Jordan Poole, I don't, I'm not sure if I'm there yet, but he came into the league god-awful. Not only did he not understand defense, not only did he not understand the offense, he also just, as a, for a guy that came into the league as a supposed shooter, did not make shots. And it's hard to be in the NBA if you're a shooter and you don't make shots. Um, and I think a part, a lot of that, I, I listened to JJ Reddick's podcast with Duncan Robinson. A lot of being a shooter in the NBA is being comfortable. And I'm sure you guys know for guys that play hoop, you're a lot more comfortable playing basketball and shooting the basketball when you're playing with your boys, playing with guys that know you can shoot, know your ability, and you can let that thing fly with absolute confidence, make or miss. Your boys don't, don't care. Your teammates know, hey, we'll live with that shot. Um, and I think Jordan Poole, the Warriors let him, they sent him down in the G League and let him get to that point. And now he's at the point, make or miss, where you're like, that's his shot. And that's okay, whether it goes in or doesn't go in. Um, and so I think big blessing. I'm not necessarily saying even that Pascal or Poole or Lee or Bowman or Chris are going to be huge impact players next year. But I feel comfortable with the if, – if they get – if they grow – each year for the next two, three years, as much as they did this year, they're going to be NBA-level players, and that's really all you can ask for in your young players. And so huge blessing in disguise. The Warriors were never going to challenge for, I mean, I think very, very best-case scenario in hindsight, Steph Curry doesn't get hurt, and the Warriors challenge for maybe the seventh or eighth seed. Um, I think it's, again, smart to let Clay sit. No reason to rush Clay back just so you can challenge for the – seventh, eighth seed and, and have a meeting with the Lakers or Clippers that are much better basketball teams at this moment. No need to do that. Why not instead give those guys rest and let your guys develop? And now on top of that, hey, yeah, we'll, we'll get touch on it later. This draft is tough. Um, but now, hey, we also have a top pick. Um, and, and with the Wiggins deal too, we, we, we get a better fit for D'Angelo Russell, a guy who is never going to work here and also get a potential – not a potential, a lotto next year, um, just top three protected, which I think we'll live with. Um, all right. That's my take on on this past year, why I'm viewing it as a positive. And I'm generally a pretty positive person. I think I'm generally going to try and look at the, the positives. But, I mean, quite truthfully, and I, I want to say for the most part without bias, I, I think – for as bad as the product was on the court this year, for as bad as a 15 and 50 record is, I think this season was as much of a positive as you could get from that sort of, you know, dynamic and culture. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to look at the free agent targets. We're going to look at the draft targets. And we are going to close it out with, you know, what my hopes are for next season. And again, we're, we're a long ways away from that, but let's, let's just take a look. Let's take a peek. Let me be, let me be maybe a little bit overly optimistic and, and wow, I'm watching uh Lakers Celtics game seven rewind raise on Rondo in game seven. When he steps to the line, he was four of 17 at the line at one point. That's, that's crazy. He shot 24% in the series. Anyways, that's neither here nor there. We'll be back. Uh, with the rest of the episode here in a second. All right, it's uh, it's time to talk free agency now. Um, and I think this is the, the toughest segment for me because, one, you know, it 
I, I, for as much as I love the NBA and for as much as I've watched the NBA, I still somewhat struggle to fully grasp the financials behind everything. You know, I know the basics, I know the big picture, but I can't tell you I know the ins and outs of how the cap works or or how everything works. Um, so it's it's hard for me to say, hey, I know exactly what the Warriors have to work with in terms of finances. And, and, you know, if you have, if you know that, then it gives you a much clearer picture of, you know, who they can attack, who they can target. But even then to that point, you know, we're not sitting there in their front office knowing, Hey, this is, this is who we're targeting. This is the position we're targeting. All we can do is really speculate. And so that's what I'm going to do. I do know, however, you know, like I said, the overarching look at, what what the money looks like i don't know it down to the fine details but i i I do know um in general what it looks like so um i think the biggest things for the warriors right now they're looking for if i'm I'm the gm i'm looking for a backup point guard i think you saw it in atlanta and again a much lower scale but trey young played about as many minutes as he could handle uh but when he was off the court that offense was literally like 12 points worse per 100 possessions that is five points four points worse is very significant so now you're looking at 12 points and and that and that's huge and that's because they didn't have a backup point guard so you don't have a backup point guard it's tough and again dre can probably alleviate some of that load but part of the reason dre can get and be that point guard um in a pinch is the gravity that steph curry has and, and generally it has to be okay Steph's give, giving it up, and, and Dre's playing a point forward role as opposed to a point guard role. Yes, he's going to get boards and push and transition. Yes, he's going to pop or pick, pop or roll off a pick and get downhill and create, but he's not a point guard. So uh, I, I think that's – I don't know if Kai Bowman's there yet. I don't. I love the way Kai Bowman plays. I love the energy in which he plays with. I, I – I, plays very hard he's proven that he can he is a somewhat reliable jumper um but i don't know that if you tell me where hey we're headed in the next year with kai bowman backing up steph curry that my stomach doesn't churn just a little bit he's a little bit undersized uh, you know he again plays very hard but the, the size is limiting and he's not a great shooter he's not an unreal finisher He's not an unreal defender, and so then you throw in his his ability, not ability, his the fact that he's undersized. I, I need a backup point guard, and and who I look at the backup point guard market's a little bit, uh, a little bit shallow, and uh, even more so when you take in the fact that we don't have a ton of money to work with. So I'm looking at DJ Augustine, and again, DJ Augustine is by no means a game changer, but we're also talking about a guy who last year was the starting point guard on a playoff team in the Orlando Magic, was the legitimate legitimate starting point guard. Um, you know, they finished the game with him as their point guard. And yes, they got sent home in the first round, but they won a game in Toronto. They were solid. He's generally going to make the right play, a, a very good assist to turnover ratio guy. Going to hit the wide open shot. I've seen him hit big shots. And um, defensively, not not great. He's again undersized, but as a team defender, he's been in the league uh, for a while now to the point where if he was not a good team defender and did not have a good understanding of what needs to happen um, on a team level, he would not be in the league anymore. Um, and and he is. So 
I think that's a guy that I look that can you can probably toss three to four million, maybe five million a year. Again, I think the cap's going to be affected uh, a little bit by this corona um, in terms of you know the NBA teams not being able to bring in and the NBA as a whole not being able to bring in as much revenue because of you know fans not being there for games and then the TV TV rights you know not getting those games. Um, and so I'm looking at DJ Augustine there. I think after that, you're looking at a, again, it depends on who they draft, which we will touch on. But I think if they don't draft a big, you you probably want to back up big. And, and I'm looking at Aaron Baines or Jermichael Green. I think both uh, are guys that can stretch the floor. So you can play them next to Draymond, who at this point, I mean, in theory, he, we've seen him be able to stretch the floor, but we haven't been able to, we haven't seen him be able to do that really since 2016. So, uh, Jamichael Green and, and Aaron Baines are both guys that have a decent volume shooting the three and decent percentage. Uh, Baines is a little bit more of a rim protector, while as Jamichael is more of a one on one team defender. Baines is not bad in his own right. Um, and, I think Baines is probably a little bit out of their price range, especially from what we've seen in Phoenix. Yes, he hasn't been able to stay healthy, um, but I think when he has played, he's been a difference maker to the point where they've almost, and at times, without a doubt, have been better on the, um, on the court with him as opposed to Aiden. So uh, would love to have Baines. I think he's probably out of the little, little – I think some team is going to overpay him, whether that be the Hornets. I feel like the Hornets are always that team where if you're like, Who's going to overpay this person? It's, I think, usually the team that people point to is the Charlotte Hornets. So, uh, Jamichael Green is, I think, a guy that is much more gettable, a guy who I don't think commands more than five, four mil a year. Hopefully, I can, you know, you never know in this league, um, but would be pleased with both. And I think my, I, my, uh, my next thing is I'd love another, uh, wing and pro, I prioritize a wing that can play defense and secondary to that shoot and if not shoot score um and three three guys come to mind that i would love one guy comes to mind that i think is ideal um and the three that i i love is a strong word but would enjoy are two former warriors uh glenn robinson the third and alec burks and then mo harkless um, I think you've seen with, with Glenn Robinson, the third, he really fit in well with us as a three and D guy. And, and more so than that, I think he really loved being here. Um, I, I was listening to a podcast earlier and, and Glenn, you could tell that, um, I will not, not going to use the word upset in Philly, but wasn't being utilized in Philly. I don't think was the happiest in Philly. And again, he'd only been there for a month, you know, or so. Um, but he, he talked about, he'd love to be able to come back to golden state. And I, I've heard that the the young guys on this team, Marquise, Jordan, and, you know, Pascal, really loved Glenn Robinson the third, and that was kind of their vet. Um, I've heard again. I'm not in that locker room. I don't know, but what I've heard is is Jordan Poole is not a guy that easily trusts people. <laughs> so take that for what it's worth. But that he loved Glenn Robinson the third. That was his guy. So would love to see him not just from an on the court perspective, but a you know a, a mentoring perspective. If Again, it it matters. I really think it matters um, having guys that like each other on and off the court. It's not necessarily a necessity, but I think it doesn't hurt. Um, and Alec Burks had a really great year with us. I think obviously he was asked to do a lot more than he'd have to do next year, but he was a big bright spot for us. I think he showcased an ability to make open shots. 
um, but get to the cup, get to his spots. You know, like he he's one of those guys where he's not just hooping and whatever happens, happens. He has a plan. He's trying to get to his spot either in the paint or in the mid range. And then I feel honestly, I got to the point where I was like, if he's wide open, I feel good from three. Love to have him back. Another guy who is not a warrior who I would enjoy. Um, a little bit offensively challenged, but I would enjoy Mar- uh, Moharkless. Um, very solid defender, very solid on ball defender, very solid team defender. Uh, defended in in um, in LA um, with the best of them, and really that was why he was playing was his ability to defend. Um, so a guy like that who can give Wiggins some spell um, and, and defend at just as high of a level. On, on, in both aspects. And also he got to a point where uh, I'm not going to say I, I love him taking wide open threes, but I don't hate it. Uh, I'm going to check. He shot from three this year, 34.7%. So I'm going to round up. I like to round up 35%, which is, you can live with that. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to say that it's definitely not a leap, but if, I mean, I for sure wish Draymond Green could shoot 35% from three. You know, that that seems to be um, long gone. He shot 27%, 28% this year, uh, 28% last year, 30% the year before, 30 the year before. And, and then in two, 2015, he had his best year with 39%. Probably not ever going to get to 39%. Anyways, Mo Harkless is a guy I would not be mad at who I think if you throw something like four or five, maybe six million at um, would be a good fit here. And then I think the ideal fit is Jay Crowder. He does everything we've talked about like Mo Harkless. He defends really well as a team defender. You see he, he went to Miami. Miami's not going to trade you for you unless you know how to play defense. Um, not only did they trade for him, but he played significant minutes right off the bat. So that goes to show he's able to pick up a defensive system like that. Um, so that's encouraging. And then I feel really good about his ability to spot up and shoot the wide open three. He's been on teams that have been good in his career, but has never really quite been on a team. He was on the Cavs before they went on or after they went on that elite run. Uh, he was on the Celtics before they were really good. He was on the Mavs before they, so he's never really had the ability, um, the chance to play on a team that's going to make a finals push. And I think uh, that could potentially be appealing to him. I don't really know Jay Crowder. I don't. He doesn't really have any ties to the Bay Area. Uh, I haven't really heard anything that you know would suggest, hey, he's looking at coming here. But that's a guy that I'd be pretty happy with if he did come here. And I think the only concern is one, yeah, does he want to come here? And two, uh, do we have the money? I could see him getting a little bit more money than we could offer. Um, but then you get into the question of, hey. I mean, Jay Crowder knows who he is. Would you rather get 12, 13, 14 million a year on a team that you know probably doesn't really have a realistic shot at, at making a finals push? Or would you rather get a little bit less but but really have a legit shot to make an impact on a championship-level team? I don't know what's more important. We will see in terms of where he goes next year. Um, but that's a guy who I'm looking at. So, um, again, it's it's tough to really spend too much time talking because, one – you don't know what guys are going to be offered. I don't really know the how much Corona is going to affect the cap. Um, and two, you don't really know. You, the Warriors got KD in free agency, but outside of that, they haven't really had the ability to go get um, even rotation level um, 
free agents outside of this year, you know, Glenn Robinson and Burks. And this year, you know, we saw it's a, it's a little bit different when you're gearing up to go win a ship as opposed to gearing up to kind of develop young guys. So that's where I'm at on free agency. I want to now transition to the draft. Um, and like I said earlier, I've spent a good portion of the past week researching the prospects. Um, and I think an interesting thing to note is one, I again, I'm very grateful that we have this pick. It is a very valuable thing to have a lottery pick and not only a lottery pick, but a pick that is projected again, not with the new lottery, you know, you don't know what pick we're going to get. There's a very good chance we don't get the first pick, but very worse, we're going to have probably a top three, top five pick. Um, but I think it's important to note heading into this, we have never had this little amount of time to evaluate players and this little to go off of because you, well, one, we don't even know when the draft is because we don't even know when the NBA season is coming back or if it even is coming back. So because the NBA season is on hold, the whole draft process, the whole process around that is on hold as well. So usually when you have, you know, a, a big way that, that these guys are evaluated is during these conference tournaments, during these, the national, uh, during the, the NCAA tournament, during the NIT, you get to see these guys in the most competitive settings in the most competitive games they've played all year. And, uh, I think that's where a lot of guys have made big pushes. Steph Curry, I don't necessarily think he goes seven if he doesn't light up the tournament. And there's plenty of examples of that. So that is a huge tool in which scouts have used in the past to evaluate prospects. That's now gone. Uh, now you can't, you don't have Euro League anymore. So you can't really see that the, the Euro League is what, you know, the NCAA tournament is to American prospects. It is what it is to, to European prospects. Now you don't have that. You don't have the combine. You can't, some guys are working out 10 to 15 times for different teams. They can't do that. Um, and, and you can't bring them in. You, you can't fly a guy to your city, show him the city, interact with him. Now what you have is FaceTime, Zoom, whatever it is, and tape. And in some guy's case, like Denny Avija, you know, where he's playing overseas with grown men in, in a league where, you know, he's not necessarily quite all the way there yet, you don't have a ton of tape on him. You have a guy like James Wiseman who played a, uh, two, three games, you're, you're limited on the tape, right? So you have just so much less to go off of. Um, you don't have workouts, you don't have the combine, you have tape and a Zoom or Skype interview. And I don't, that's honestly not enough to really evaluate a guy to the level in which you need to evaluate a guy for making this. This is a huge financial commitment, not just a financial commitment, but in terms of just assets, playing time, you're pouring a lot into whoever you pick here. And uh, you don't have even half or even I think a quarter as much of information or data or, or things to go off of than you would uh, any other year. So that's that's something that's going to be tough. But uh, don't get don't get it twisted. Uh, you'd still rather have um, you know what this pick, regardless of what's going on. So uh, like I said earlier, I am by no means a draft expert. I, I actually watch very little college basketball compared to the NBA. 
Um, but what I do know again is, is what the Warriors generally look for, what the scheme looks like, and and how guys generally, what type of guys translate to the next level. And I have really picked the brains. I haven't necessarily been able to speak one on one, but listened to a lot of podcasts, read a lot of articles about um, the top guys in this year's draft, and and have listened to guys who literally make their living off of evaluating NBA prospects and kind of filtered through all that in a warrior's lens. And uh, I'm going to talk about, you know, I think the top prospects of of this year's draft and, and what that looks like in terms of, you know, moving forward with the Warriors. So want to start with this um, by most accounts of scouts is a very weak draft. Um, and again, you, you hear that a lot, and I think there's you take that and, and uh, take that for what it's worth. But, I mean, you can also make an argument. I mean, you don't know. I mean, you never know till they play. Uh, there have been drafts that were lauded as weaker drafts where a lot of guys turned out to be NBA players. Um, and so you will never know until they play. But I think there's also something to be said of, of scouts who year after year, this is their job to evaluate NBA talent saying, hey, We've evaluated, you know, the past 10 or so classes, and this is a weaker class in terms of talent based off of what we're seeing right now. So um, now you're then probably going into fit. And and I've heard uh, a scout, Sam Vecini, uh, an NBA draft quote expert um, that I've trusted over the years, say that R.J. Barrett in this, to put it in perspective, R.J. Barrett would be a clear-cut, no-doubt, number one in this draft. And R.J. Barrett's a very talented player, guy who went third last year. Um, but he had very much has flaws, you know, and you've seen this year he's had an okay year, been good at times, awful at times, okay at times. And, and I think if you're the Knicks, you feel good with him as, as, as being who you took. But at the same time, I mean, there, he's far from a sure lock to be an all-star. The potential's there, but you're saying, hey, this guy who who definitely has his flaws, who is a flawed player, who at this point you don't know if he's going to be, you know, a – I think the Knicks hope he's a, a cornerstone, but you can't say you know for sure, would will be the no-doubt number one in this draft. Okay, so now you get towards uh, – now we're going to get in towards a guy, and I'm, I'm going to kind of go best – you know, with these guys, there's like the 70% – when I say 75% best outcome, you say, hey, this is 75. If he, if he gets to this, he this is the 75 percentile outcome of, of – so you'll take that. 50% being, okay, this is like reasonable what reasonably what to expect from him if he just kind of gets to what he should be but nothing crazy. 100 percentile is, hey, this guy blossomed way more than we thought. 25% would be someone, 20%, 10%, someone like Mario Hazonia, you take seventh, doesn't is a fringe bench player at this point. Whereas someone, this is off the dome, Tristan Thompson, Jonas Valanciunas, you take fourth or fifth, I think they got to 50% of that solid rotational piece. In Tristan's case, was solid rotational piece on a championship contender but he's not necessarily moving the needle. So breaking it down in that perspective of, of how we can project them moving forward. And I want to start with Anthony Edwards. And I think this is the guy who got the most buzz, I think consistently throughout the year. Um, I think best case, not best case, but 75 to 80%, um, you know, reasonable outcome is 
a Victor Oladipo on offense. So a guy who gets downhill, can hit the open jumper, hit mid-range, really puts pressure on your defense, not an elite offensive player, but can be the second guy on an elite offense or a number one guy on a very on a pretty good offense. I think that's Anthony Edwards' uh, you know, kind of projection on offense, but not even close to Oladipo as a defensive player. I mean, you look at Oladipo as a guy who was, I think, first team all defense in college. A uh, guy who's always been very adept on the defensive end and struggled, obviously, like a lot of rookies do to start. But now, uh, you know, obviously has the torn quad. But um, last year was playing defense at a very high level at the shooting guard position. Yeah, Edwards is nowhere near that. But offensively, the ceiling is pretty high. And the tools are there defensively for him to be effective. So um, you're looking at a guy with a reasonably high floor because of the offensive tools um but also a limited ceiling because of the defense um and then you then you look at the fit like we ideally for the warriors want to continue on this run in the next three four years you know steph's 32 clay's 30 i i i want someone i think that i ideally fits next to him and i i'm a fan of taking the best overall player regardless of maybe overlapping at some positions. But I, I don't think Anthony Edwards is as a, enough of a can't-miss prod, product that you are going to take him with Wiggins, Clay, and Steph. I think he uh, he clearly would have to come off the bench. I don't know if that's a role that he can be effective enough in in the next even two, three years for us to feel like, all right, we're happy with taking him here. Um, again, you're telling me you get Victor Oladipo on offense as a pretty close to best case scenario. That's great, but he's going to, you know, mitigate a lot of that on defense. And so I, I, Edwards is a guy that I'm probably staying away from. Um, and again, uh, being at Georgia didn't help. He had to take a lot of really tough shots, a lot of bad shots. Um, and that was just kind of the nature of the situation because he wasn't playing with the most talented guys around him. Um, and he would, that would not be the case in Golden State. Probably get much easier looks, um, but I'm just not sure fit wise, and I don't think he screams enough for me to be like, all right. Like, w- would you take RJ for the fact that I think the Warriors take RJ Barrett number one if he's in this class, and and I don't think he makes a huge impact the next two years, and and Anthony Edwards is even lower than that. Okay. Uh, next, you're moving to Lamelo Ball. I think that's a guy that a lot of people want to to hear. Be, be talked about and it sounds like again i don't know i'm not in that front office it sounds like for whatever reason the warriors are not really considering him um but this guy has the highest ceiling and i don't think it's particularly close in this draft he's a guy that i mean he's been playing basketball since he's you know however four years old and so as a result the guy has a just such a very natural feel for the game of basketball uh, I mean, obviously, his older brother is a point guard, and you can see that already. Such a natural, natural feel for the game of basketball. He sees things before, and I'm talking about Lonzo. Sees things before, you know, seconds before everyone else does. And now Lamelo had that, and is even two years younger. So Lamelo's played professional basketball. He was a starting guard on a professional basketball team. He sees things develop so quickly, way before someone at that age should. Offensive feel is amazing. He's so shifty. He, you know, he he's got so many things that you can't teach offensively. But his jumper is not there. Like if if you throw him in the NBA next year, 
he I, he very well could shoot 25% from three, 40% from the field, which, again, he's a rookie. You know, you, you probably take that in, in terms of, you know, the big picture. But he's – the field's there, but the jumper is not. And the decision-making is not. He forces – and you see it with Lonzo. I, I'm going to pro- try not to make that these comparisons parallels too often because they're different players. But uh, he, he forces some shots and makes some decisions that – you don't want him to make. And so the, the ceiling is the highest if he, and then the defense is also terrible right now. And and he has the tools, but he has never played defense. He's never needed to play defense in high school. They won the state title with him playing zero defense. And in Australia, he didn't really need to play defense. That wasn't his role. They weren't going to not play Lamelo because of what he meant to that team. Um, so you have a guy that doesn't play defense, who doesn't have a jumper, who, makes questionable decisions, but has uh, an unbelievable feel, great handle, great vision, and now it just comes down to decision-making. So you have a very low floor because if he never fixes the defense, he never f- fixes the jumper and doesn't fix the decision-making, You can't. he can't be your starting guard. He's going to have to come off the bench in a, kind of an instant impact, 20-minute of a night, Lou Will sort of role because of the defense and um, decision-making, which is, you know, not terrible, but you're not paying the number, you know, you're not picking the guy at one or two to, to be that guy, or he figures that out and is a game changer on offense, an engine on offense, someone you build an offense around. But with that being said, because the floor is so low and because you have Steph and Clay and Wiggins, again, I'm not, for me, I'm not taking a guard here unless they're a can't miss prospect or a not necessarily can't miss prospect, but a guard prospect with a really high floor. And LaMelo does not have a really high floor. If it goes bad with LaMelo, it could be really bad. And I'm not, again, there's no way to project or predict what that'll be. You see that every year. If you try to do that, you're more often not going to be wrong, but you can predict, um, you know, reasonable outcomes and, and likelihood of, of him becoming this or that. And best case scenario, very, very good game changer. Worst case scenario, uh, instant impact bench guy who hurts you defensively and at times with turnovers, but can provide offense. All right. Uh, Want to touch on, I think, the other big prospect, and then we'll get into like sneakier guys that we could explore if the Warriors wanted, uh, which I wouldn't be surprised at all if they end up trading down. Uh, and that's James Wiseman. Uh, with Wiseman, you look at a guy, again, you have three games of tape on him. Um, and so it's it's really tough to evaluate. Uh, a can't-miss physical prospect, you know, a true seven-footer with a big wing, wingspan that is super, super mobile. Uh, I think at his peak, he's it, what I've heard is he can be an all-defensive player because – of his athleticism and size, he can erase shots at the rim um, and has decent mobility, not on, on in terms of, and that's mobility in terms of switching on the guards. But, but again, I think the Warriors will play a defensive system that best gets, you know, the most out of his talent. So you have a guy who at his peak defensively can be very, a, a game changer. Uh, Warriors haven't had an elite center or an elite defensive center, I, I mean, since I've ever started watching them. Um, 
So that would be very interesting. But offensively, he's never going to be elite. Um, he's a guy who is going to be a, a low-usage guy on offense. He's never going to be a guy, at least from what we've seen. I, I can't say never. But he, he's most likely never going to be a guy that you just dump it into and say, hey, go get me a bucket. Uh, but he is a guy that can win and run, be an excellent roller. And when you have Steph and Clay you know, that's going to open up space and, and a guy who in trail situations can hit a wide open three or in pop situations, similar to like a Vooch this year can hit a three. Um, and so that's, that's something I think is valuable in this league. Um, and so, especially when you have Steph Clay, you don't need a high usage guy. And we talked, I talked about it in my center podcast. It's, it's kind of becoming like the running back position, right? Where, you've seen teams be very successful kind of patching together guys at the five with different skill sets, as opposed to just having your uh, center play 35 minutes. And then sometimes in certain offensive schemes, having to be off the floor because they can't stay with smaller guys. Um, so I don't think you'd have to worry with that about that with James. I don't think he's this can't miss prospect at number one. I think you generally want more from a number one prospect, but the floor is pretty high with James Wiseman. I, I, I liken to liken him to a Capella or DeAndre Jordan with a maybe a little bit more impact defensively, not as athletic as peak DeAndre Jordan, more around Capella, uh, but with a jumper, which you're not mad at if you take him one, um, especially in this sort of class, which is why I think to this point, I would rather have Wiseman, uh, Wiseman or Toppin, and, and I'll talk about Toppin in a second, um, just because of the need, and I feel fairly safe with with the floor. All right, going to take a quick break, come back, discuss the rest of the class, and then finish up. All right, we're back, um, and I think I kind of made it seem like Wiseman was the last guy, where, you know, I think would be in consideration, but I I forgot about Obi. Obi Toppin. Obi Toppin. Obi Toppin, I think, is the best player in the draft right now. You know, as they are hooping right now, Obi Toppin is the best player. Um, and I think it's a guy with unbelievable athleticism, good size, kind of a tweener, but super long, um, and was so, so good at Dayton. And the thing about that and the encouraging thing is Dayton, um, Dayton's coach, Anthony Mathis, was uh, an assistant under Billy Donovan, um, but has, has coached in the NBA um, under assistants and, and has had head coaching jobs. And, and he took a lot of what he learned from Billy Donovan in OKC back to Dayton. This is the first year at Dayton. Um, he's had other stints as a head coach, and it didn't quite work out, didn't really have enough. Um, but he went, was an assistant under Billy, really took a lot of the stuff um, offensively that he learned and implemented it at Dayton. So Dayton comes in this year with, in my mind, from what I've heard from people that are, again, are much more in tune to this than I am, the most NBA, because we talk about, you know, a college game being completely different, the most NBA ready system, most similar to an NBA system. Um, played a, an NBA offense, and he thrived in that. So the learning curve I don't think is going to be as steep on offense, um, and he's already probably the best player right now. Um, he's a guy who can shoot the three, handle the ball, finish, super athletic. 
not Zach Levine dunk contest level athletic, but just a uh, maybe a, just a step below that. Um, and so now you have a guy. He, he didn't. He wasn't necessarily asked to do the heavy lifting on defense. Um, was hidden at times. Didn't really play an NBA defense because they were in college. But um, a guy who's there offensively, I think ninety five percent. I think the best case Obi Toppin, which I, I think you, you got to make a, a case for. Best case Obi Toppin is someone like a Pascal Siakam right now, right? Who is kind of, I'm not going to call him a tweener, but is a power forward, not big enough to be center, but can play some small forward in a, in a pinch, um, who is, you know, a good mid-post scorer, shoot the open three, and, and very good at finding angles and finishing at the rim. So I think 95%, like if he becomes 95% of what he could be, it's Pascal Siakam. Um, another comparison I've heard is post not post-prime Blake, but essentially last year Blake, where the athleticism isn't elite the way it once was, where Blake is jumping over Kia's, but still athletic, um, but also has skill and finesse in that sort of mold. So you have a four who who is a, a decent passer, who is a good finisher at the rim, but if you're wide open, he's hitting that three also. Um, and I think you're, you're talking like this and you're like, hey, okay, you have a guy who's a pretty safe floor on offense, who's NBA ready, um, who is not maybe the best defender, but is, has the tools that you can work with. And you're like, right, that's the pick. And uh, I think that sometimes too is like, yeah, it is a pick, right? But then it's like he's 22. And I think NBA teams can get caught up sometimes in, in taking the younger, more projectable guy. Um, and it goes both ways, right? I think NBA teams can have, do that, but uh, at a certain point, also you look at Wiseman 18, OB top in 22, there's four years difference. And I think if you look at Wiseman in four years, I mean, Wiseman would have to, uh, grow at an extremely, extremely slow level to not be better than what Obi Toppin is right now at 22 by the time he's 22. And again, different players, but we're talking impact. Wiseman would have to really not develop to um, not be as impactful as Obi Toppin will be at 22. But then you look, hey, the Warriors, like we talked about, the Warriors are now trying to make a run um, in the next two, three years, and they don't have Kevin Durant anymore. So you need someone else to help fill these roles um, and even, you know, pre Kevin Durant, they had Harrison Barnes, they had Andre Iguodala, they had Andrew Bogut, none of which were stars, but all of which played key roles. And, and I don't know if you can say that outside of Steph, Clay and Dre, obviously Wiggins, but again, you want to see it first. And so you need a little bit more, you need a, a couple guys to find their roles for, uh, the Warriors, I think to truly reach their peak. Um, and Obi Toppin's going to give us the best ability to do that. He's going to be more impactful than James Wiseman this year. Um, and I can say that pretty certainly, uh, based off of what we've seen, but now you're then at the same time, you, you only get these guys on a rookie deal for four years. So now when it comes to the battle of Wiseman, you go long-term potential defensively with Wiseman. What do you value more? I think the Warriors value defense more. Um, Obi Toppin making a a quicker, more instant impact, which I think the Warriors value more. Um, and then Obi Toppin being 
the the Warriors have more guys in that will play the minutes Obi Toppin should be playing as that three a little bit in a pinch, but more likely the four. They have Draymond uh, that's going to play hopefully the majority of those minutes. You have Eric Pascal, who I think is not as good as Obi right now, but is that same kind of style of play, four tweener, three tweener. Maybe Pascal is a little bit more towards the three, but I don't know. Someone could say he's a little bit more of a four. Um, So the minute overlap there, I don't think it's um, out of the question that the Warriors could figure out a way to make it work, but I I don't think it'd be the easiest, most seamless transition. So I'm stuck. I'm stuck between Toppin and Wiseman. Both have pros. Both have cons. We haven't seen anything from Wiseman but you can't teach that physical ability and the potential to be at an all NBA defense uh, level at his peak is, is pretty tantalizing where, you know, you're never going to get that from Obi. Uh, but if he pans out, he can be a, an absolute game changer on offense with his athleticism, skill and length. Um, but he's also 22. So maybe the ceiling, but you've seen ceiling sometimes, man, we, as much as we try to project ceiling, it can be tough. You look at a guy like Pascal Siakam, undrafted, or maybe he went late second as an older player. Now he's 25. In theory, right? Yeah, his ceiling is is capped because he's already 25. But his ceiling, even at 25 right now, is very damn good. So, uh, gun to my head right now, I'm I'm probably taking Obi Toppin because of how much I love Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and and Draymond Green and and want to see a run. But I don't think. I don't think that you, you know, are mad if you go Wiseman or mad even. I don't know if I'm going to be mad with anyone because I'm going to trust Bob Myers. But um, I think ideally you take Toppin or um, Mr. Wiseman in this spot. Okay, want to touch on a couple guys that if hey if we look to move the pick or move down um, some intriguing guys, I'm going to be a little bit quicker because again this is now in theory us moving down or maybe picking someone that we feel is a better fit. Because you saw, I don't think Jordan Poole was projected to go as high as he did last year. Warriors kind of reached. Um, but it's different, too, when you're this high. You, you've got to take the guy you want. Um, so, you know, I think it's worth mentioning a couple guys. And those two guys are Onyeka Onkongwu and uh, Isaac Okoro. Onkongwu, um, I, how he's been described to me is Montrez Harrell if he played great defense. Montrez Harrell, the reason why... He only is limited to 25-ish minutes a game is because he's an elite rim runner, uh, great in transition, a great, great finisher around the rim, but he's undersized and he's not good defensively. Um, You know, he can protect, you know, block shots occasionally at the rim and and does that. But in in general, as a team defender, the every single year he's been in the league, the defense, I, I, I believe, has been better with him off the court as opposed to on the court. So um, now we're looking at um, Anyeka Okongwu, who is hair on offense, but now has the defensive side uh, is how I've been described. So when he is running, he is so dangerous in transition. You throw it up really anywhere. He's going to go get it. Um, he plays a, like a four or five, small five, but more naturally a four because he can move. Um, but you throw it at the rim, he's going to finish. He's a great rim runner, uh, not great offensively anywhere else, just like Montreal. But really, if you if you tell me, hey, this guy's going to finish very consistently in the paint, 
I'm happy. Um, but where he really jumps off the charts is his defense. Um, like we said with Harold, if Harold could play defense, he protects the rim extremely well. He has a good understanding of team defense. He is a he's one of those guys. He's a dog. He's always playing hard. He's always scrapping. Teams shot five percent worse at the rim um, while he was at USC. Uh, they were miles better on defense when he was on the floor. So uh, he proved, at least at the college level, that he is an impact-level player um, and a guy who can really, really, really put pressure on you in transition and at the rim. Again, you're taking a guy early, so uh, it's a it's a different – he's 6'8", so he's undersized, and so there's there's issues there, 6'8", 6'9". The tweener, I don't know if you, you know, traditionally take a guy like this with this skill set this high, but again, this is not really a traditional draft. Um, but I thought he would be, you know, worth mentioning. And then Isaac Okoro is the best defender in the draft, top to bottom. Great off ball, great on ball. Guys who, again, do this for a living said he was probably a top 20 defender in college basketball as an 18 year old freshman, you know, in a in a league in the NCAA where there's hundreds and hundreds of guys now way more than the NBA and guys who are seniors, guys who, you know, have learned team defense for three, four years, guys with great, you know, physical abilities. He was already a top 20 defender on, on the ball, off the ball. Very, very good defender offensively, just struggles to score. Not great mechanics. Um, He's surprisingly okay at creating his own shot. But again, just not efficient. So, I mean, you can create your shot all you want. If you're not efficient, it's going to be tough. Best case scenario, a Jimmy Butler-like player, never elite offensively, but somehow can create his own looks to the point where, okay, you're not elite offensively, but at least the shots you're taking are good looks, and you can hit them at enough of a rate that you feel confident while getting elite defense, um, both perimeter one-on-one, but also in, in that help position. Okay. A uh, couple other guys, uh, Killing Hayes, Cole Anthony. I mean, we talked about it. LaMelo, Anthony Edwards, um, much higher ceiling, um, and I'm still not really considering them. So Cole Anthony, Killian, both guys that could be solid, but not game changers enough that I'm going to take them with Steph and Clay already there. Although we do bring in the I, – I did talk about, hey, you know, looking at DJ Augustine as a backup point, I don't – I think you could make an argument if – the Warriors are presented a uh, a trade in which they move down, pile up assets, and now move into that Cole Anthony, uh, Killian Hayes spot. Maybe you groom him, uh, either of those guys, as a backup point to Steph Curry. Uh, Cole Anthony, very athletic, great teammate um, from what we've heard. Took some really awful shots, but didn't really have talented teammates. So uh, a lot to work with there, just undersized and uh, hasn't shown enough on defense or really, I think for me creating, but again, wasn't playing with the best players. Uh, Killian Hayes, very high floor, not a very high ceiling, good defender, uh, very good passer, very good feel, very good vision, but liken him to a D'Angelo in that great, you know, all that is great, but he's not a good shooter. So, you know, in the NBA, that's going to be exposed a little bit more. If you're not a great shooter, you're not going to have the same space and room to create the passes, create, you know, looks for teammates because they can play you in a certain way that kind of helps mitigate that. Okay. That is it for the draft. Uh, I want to spend the next five or so minutes talking about next year, what it looks like for the dubs, what my hopes and dreams are. 
Um, and for me, guys, I think a lot of things have to happen um, for us to be back up there with, you know, the Lakers and Clippers. But I don't think that is, um, you know, out of the question or really even uh, improbable. I think for me, my and it was the reason I was optimistic last year is I, I have ultimate faith in Steph Curry. Stephen Wardell, Stephen Curry, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Jamal Green, uh, and they have not—they have never given me any reason not to have ultimate belief. Those guys are dogs. Those are light-skinned killers that, in the biggest situation, time after time again, have delivered. They have delivered time and time again. So I have no reason for them to believe, for me to believe that they will not deliver again. And here's why. Steph Curry could, and I get it, man, I'm going full homer, but I have numbers to back them up. Steph Curry, I have reason to believe in the past six, seven years, he could be one of the best offensive players we've ever seen. And now I'm not talking about one-on-one. That We are in the NBA. We are not in high school anymore. We are not in middle school. The best offensive players are not the best one-on-one push. That it plays a factor. There's a reason why James Harden is up there. The reason, the way I am going to categorize you in totality as a great offensive player is how your team scores and and plays offense as a whole because basketball is played five on five when you're on the court. Steph Curry, every single year, has put a ridiculous offensive rating up because he is the engine. All right, I'm going to go through it. I'm just, I'm not even going to go back too far. I'm going to go. From 2015-2016 on. Uh, no, let's go. Let's – yeah, we'll just do that because I, I don't need to keep going further back. All right, 2015-2016. On the court, 119 offensive rating. That means 119 points per 100 possession. Off the court, 105 offensive rating. 2016-2017. This is with Kevin Durant now. On the court. 121 offensive rating off the court, 104 offensive rating. 2017-2018 on the court, 122 points per 100 possession. Off the court, 107, 108 points, sorry. Uh, 2018-2019 on the court, 120 off points per 100 possessions. Off the court, 110. Last year, we don't really need to, I mean, I can read last year, but he played for three games. On the court, 110. Off the court, 105. So it is clear that this guy has proven to be one of the single greatest offensive, uh, not even weapons, but he is a system in it of itself. We saw in Toronto him be able to literally create wide open look after wide open look for Andrew Wiggins, for Juan Toscano Anderson, for Marquise Chris at the rim. Him by himself, he literally bends defenses. And he's been doing it for so long now. Dame's starting to get to that point where now he's starting to bend defenses. So now they're adjusting and trapping and doubling. And he and he's starting to get better at that. But Steph Curry's been dealing with that for five years now. So when you have that who now understands, okay, this is how they're going to play me. This is the looks I'm going to get. This is what I'm going to have to do to get looks for other people. You already have an offensive linchpin who you slot four guys, even four average offensive players, he's going to elevate those four offensive players. And now we're not even talking about scrubs anymore. We're talking about Clay Thompson, one of the 
top five, at very worst, one of the top five shooters of all time. We're talking about Draymond Green. Yes, not offensively skilled, but very offensively uh, in terms of his mind is always going to make the right play, the right pass, knows where everyone is. Then Andrew Wiggins hasn't, you know, hasn't to this point shown that where he's on the floor, your offense is going to be better. But they were also asking him to be the number one, number two guy um, with Carl Anthony Townsend. That's that's not going to work. So now he's asked to be the third guy as opposed to the one, sometimes two, sometimes one. Um, and that's going to be much better suited for him. So I'm like, okay, we have this set in place. We have the greatest, another one of the greatest shooters who also plays defense. You have a defensive mastermind in Draymond Green. Unbelievably talented guy in in uh, Andrew Wiggins, um, and guys who know their role. I think that's the most important thing. A lot of times, uh, you see teams with less talent outperforming teams with more talent. Take for example, uh, I think you can look at the Indiana Pacers without Oladipo. Not the most talented team, but better than per se the Nets with even without KD and Kyrie for a lot of years. I don't know if you can say the Nets without them are, are more talented than the Pacers, but you get the idea I'm looking at. We've seen times in the past Timberwolves with Jimmy Butler, you know, Towns, Wiggins, not living up to the actual talent level that they have. Um, so, again, getting off chop, you you have guys that know their roles, and I think that's a big part of it, is if everyone embraces their role and aren't trying to do too much, I think when you guys start to do a little bit too much, that's when you run into some issues. You won't have that here. So you have that, and uh, you have a culture that's been there, that understands what you need to do to be at that level. Um, and I think one of my – I'm going – full disclaimer, I'm going full home, Homer here. Over the past five years, these are some of the biggest things I've heard that bother me, and it's not everyone. But people, they want to have it both ways, and I think it's partly – it's mostly – people that love LeBron that try to change the goalpost to, again, make it seem, and I'm not going to get into MJ Braun. That's not for me. Uh, But try to, again, kind of angle LeBron as the best player ever. And because he's three and whatever in finals, they have to kind of control the narrative. So it's still like, Hey, he's the best player ever. He did all he could. And, And there's some, you can make fair points in there, but the point is guys want to say, Oh, the the Warriors, man, they they are just overpowered. They have way too many. Like, it's unfair. But they also want to say Clay could never be the number one guy on a team. They also want to say Draymond is uh could is only good because he's on the Warriors. They want to say Steph Curry is only good because he has Clay to pass to. And and with KD, they and there's a little more credit to that argument with, with KD, but even then, the Warriors with Steph KD, Clay, and Dre essentially the, the the Cavs won one game, but beat LeBron, Kyrie, Kevin Love, who, again, I think in hindsight now you say are not close to Steph, Clay, and, and Dre, and KD. But, I mean, if Ron's the best player ever, you have Kyrie, who at one point some people would say is better than Steph. I don't think you're at that point anymore. And Kevin Love, who is a very, very, very damn good all-star player in his right. Anyways, I think people forget that before all that, the Warriors beat LeBron with Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Harrison Barnes, Draymond Green, and Andrew Bogut. Again, Kyrie and Kevin Love were out there. And we're up 3-1. And, ve- and again, I'm not going to get into 
you know, if Draymond doesn't get suspended, we lost. We lost that series, but we were up 3-1 and, and very easily could have won that series. Head with head to toe with with Kyrie, Kevin Love, LeBron, all being fully healthy, playing their best basketball. And I know y'all can get mad at me, but Steph Curry was not healthy. Anyways, they are they very much could have won that. And so what I'm saying is, you know that they're at that level of championship level. That was three, four, five years ago, and and probably you can argue, hey, you know they're older. Steph Curry probably isn't the same athletically. Klay Thompson just tore his ACL. Draymond's a little bit older, and he's a guy that, hey, you know, you're going to get probably the most out of Draymond when he has that peak athleticism. Um, but the I think they make up for all of that with mentality and, and understanding now the game of basketball a little bit more. It sounds silly to say that, but understanding what it takes. Um, and uh, I'm getting a little carried away. I think I'm for, far away from my original point, but my original point is we've seen – Steph Curry be the best player on a team with Klay Thompson being the second best player on the team and Draymond Green being the third best player on the team win the most games in 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 the regular season in NBA history, which again, that's not an end-all be-all, but if you're winning the most games in literally in NBA history in the regular season, you've those three have got to be pretty good at basketball, even if traditionally you don't want to build your team around all shooters. But that's the thing. They're not just shooters. They're winners. They're basketball players who have understood what it takes to win at the highest level. And that is why I feel like they're up there with the Clippers and the Lakers. And I think it's because I'm a Steph Curry fan that my ears a little bit more tuned into hearing people say, hey, I, James Harden is better than Steph Curry. And I, and I ask those people why. And I think the reason is, okay, James Harden has had less around him and has gone for 38 a game. Okay, sure, but you've also seen that when it matters, Steph Curry with Klay Thompson and Draymond Green even last year went into a must-win game for Houston in in Houston with Chris Paul and James Harden and beat them. And so I know where Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, and Draymond are. Um, and now it's about I don't I don't think at this point because I think you're, the the league as a whole is better than it was that seventy-two win season. So I, I think it's not necessarily enough, just those three. But now you have Wiggins, and I, I'm hoping and trusting in Bob Myers and the rest of the front office and, and general management to make the right moves and uh, create an environment and a team that complements those three, four players, if you want to include Wiggins, and, and get us right back at that level. Um, because, again, the Lakers had, are a prime example Clippers not so much because I think Clippers are more just talent uh, and great, obviously very well coached by Doc. But the Lakers, I think there are there are scenarios in which this doesn't go as well as it did this year because you you think about it, it's 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 Anthony Davis and LeBron, and you're saying, oh, how can you not be good with Anthony Davis and LeBron? I understand that those are two elite top ten players. In LeBron's case, a top top one, two, or three player. Um, but outside of them, you know, it's Kyle Kuzma, it's JaVale McGee, it's Dwight Howard, it's Alex Caruso, it's Danny Green. Outside of Danny Green, none of those guys have been key players on, on teams that really did much of anything. And so the Warriors have to, I think, create a similar environment in their own Warriors way of guys that play defense first, complement those three, four guys. And if they can do that, they're right back in it, and I am so excited. I, obviously, this is a tough time, and again, I hope you guys are all staying safe. Really, 
the NBA and, and sports, we, we miss it. We love it. It brings us so much relief, at least for me. There's nothing I love more than watching sports um, and, and basketball in particular, but it's, it's necessary right now to take this break, and, and that is all secondary to what is happening in the world. But when it does come back, I, I, I think I've said it multiple times for uh, other seasons, I haven't been more excited for a season because it's my guy, Steph, at the head of the snake again saying, all right, I've had five years now. I've had a year off to rest. It is me and the OG boys again. It's me, my light-skinned killer brother, my very dark-skinned brother, Draymond Green. And uh, each guy has a key role to play, and you know they will play that role to the best of their ability. And let's go run it back with the King and AD let's go run it back with the two best perimeter two two of the top three or four wings in the league and Paul George and Kawhi let's go you know run it back with a, a Milwaukee Bucks team that is setting the league on fire and let's see let's see where we're at because everyone's sleeping maybe it's just me with you know I'm a Warriors fan so I'm creating this narrative in which we're the underdogs sure maybe there's people out there that don't feel that way but let's run it back we're discounted. It's underdog season. I love it. Um, and I'm so excited to see my guy run the show again. And, and again, I love Kevin. I've, I've, I've appreciated Kevin Durant, not just as a player, but as a person more and more um, as I've started to, you know, just listen to him more and more. But uh, the, there's nothing like having stuff be up the head of an offense um, and running the show. And I'm hope again, he, he definitely serves a great purpose playing off ball. But at the same time, he I, I would love to see more of that MVP season stuff where he's on ball running pick and rolls with Dre. And, hey, you're going to trap me? All right, let's have a four-on-three with Dre. You're you're going to play a defensive There's There seems the league that play a drop coverage on defense uh, as their philosophy. If you're going to play a drop coverage on Steph Curry, good night. Uh, good night. Uh, you are going to sleep very well, and you are going to go to sleep very quickly because you can't give Steph Curry looks like that. All right. This has been my uh, my Warriors podcast. It's been a long time coming. I really covered everything I felt was important. If there's something that you feel I didn't cover, shoot me a DM, shoot me a text, shoot me an email. Follow me on Twitter at Hoops Drive. Follow me at, on Instagram, Malaga Drive Hoops. Again, I just turned 24 I'm just trying to grow and do something I love and and hopefully down the line, you know, see where it takes me. I love doing this stuff. I'm so passionate about it and I'm going to, you know, continue to do this, but I'm still 24 and so I'm growing and learning. So if you have any tips, any pointers, anything you think would be helpful, any criticism, I can take criticism, man. I'm a, I just want to get better. So, you know, let me know. Um, but I appreciate if you made it this far. I mean, I was planning on this being 30 to 45 minutes. We're sitting at probably well over an hour. Um, but that's how much I love it. So, um, if you made it this far, I really, really appreciate you. You are amazing. The fact that you would listen to me just talk for an hour about the Warriors, an hour plus, means a lot to me. Um, and I, I hope you guys are all staying safe. All love. Appreciate you guys. Stay safe. I'll be back. Uh, with more content during quarantine. Again, you guys rock, and uh, everyone have a great rest of your day, and uh, we'll talk soon.